0: Well, hey, um, tonight we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, so if you have your Bible, um, that's where we're going to be, but also the scriptures will be up on the screen. If you don't have one, that's where we're going to be. Um, in case you didn't know, this is part 4 in our Imagine series that we're doing here, Bethany. Um, part 4 is Imagine Relationships, so we're going to be talking about relationships tonight, but um, before we we dive into that, I, I feel that when we were preparing this, just to be honest, we got together, and and, I mean, relationships is a big topic. All these topics for the Imagine series are are kind of general, and that's on purpose, because we want to cover a lot of stuff. But this one's going to be a little bit more specific tonight, and probably a little bit more deep. And and more importantly, we're going to be talking about love relationships tonight. And so dudes are going, oh, crap. It's not that way. Trust me. I I helped put it together. It wouldn't go down that way. Um, But we're going to talk about the way that Jesus loves us, therefore our response to Him, and in, in, in our response to Him, when He gives us love, how we respond to the world, and what does that look like. And so th- that's what we're going to be doing tonight. But before we go into that, we just need to cover that God is a very relational God. I don't know if you've really ever thought of Him that way. Is that um. I, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I, I kind of did and I kind of didn't. I grew up um, in Catholic private schools for boys who didn't do things right a lot of times. I went to some sketchy name schools, uh, Mother of Good Counsel, Our Lady of Sorrows, St. <laughs> Peter's in Chains. Uh, those were the schools that I went to for the most part. And uh, and, and, and th- there was a lot of different things that happened. I remember, I remember when I became a Christian, which was in high school, I became a Christian I found out that All those years when they said the gospel according to Luke, that they're actually reading from the Bible, I had no idea. And and, and my view of church and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit really was not that relational. It seemed very distant. Like it was something that I kind of did because I had to. And I'm not knocking Catholics. I don't know if you guys know this. Tom's mom is a nun. My grandparents are all Catholics. We're, we're, We're totally cool with that. Everybody's going, How'd that happen? She's a lay nun. Her husband died. You can become a nun. That's how that happened. I just saw the faces go. That's how that happened. But so so we're not knocking Catholicism here at all because actually we were raising, there's a lot of really great traditions steeped in that. And so I'm not knocking that, but I'm just saying for me personally, I really did not know much about a relational aspect with God or that he was relational in his nature. And the more and more I study him and, and his attributes and what he's about, I really see that. Um easiest example is this is the trinity god isn't it's a weird relationship it's not like backwoods tennessee relationship because you got father son holy spirit and they all love each other a lot it's like tight family relationship i didn't say texas don't worry (laughs) we had a little country worship jam session in here earlier you should have been here it was horrible but uh (laughs) no it was great but uh but 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 they were in relation with one another You see, um, God the Father is is in a sense the head and you have Jesus who's the Son and the the Holy Spirit and there's an order there and they're all equal yet very different and we see that played out in in things like gender and things throughout society And, and, and God is very relational even within his own nature as in God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's so relational actually that he created you for relationship he created man, and he saw that they were good, right? He he, he he dwelled with them, right? There was one point before 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 we fractured that relationship with God with sin, right, where God would come and walk with him, walk with Adam, walk with Eve in the garden. He, he loves relationship. So it's one of the things we just need to know here tonight. And when, when Jesus gave one of the greatest commandments... He, Basically, what he said is, love relationships. They're really important. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, it says this. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love relationships are really important. When Jesus, Just as a tip, I mean, this isn't going to blow anybody's mind theologically, but I just need to state the obvious sometimes for myself. When Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, it means it's pretty important. Okay? And, and so that's what he's saying. He said love relationships are really, really, really important. Okay? So let, let's dive in. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And let's just go Let's go straight into it. And just so you see that this, this scripture here is just a absolutely love-drenched verse. And to help you notice that, um, is this not the highlighted one right? Do we have that? Never mind. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. You know how to read. There's, love is just throughout it. So let's just read it. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. There's the love right there. And walk in love as Christ, loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does this say? What does this say? It says, therefore be imitators of God. What, 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 I'm not going to blow anybody's minds here tonight with this, but I, I, just, I, I really hope that maybe sometimes because if you're anything like me, when you read the Bible, and, and, and it's my job to read it a lot, and so I do. And I find myself reading things just for the sake of reading them. And I don't know if I ever really let it just penetrate and sink in. That's one of the great things I get about teaching and preparing messages and things like that. Is that I get to let these things just soak in. And this is probably something that we've read before. It's a common scripture. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. What he's saying here is copy me. If you copy me, it's going to equal loving people. So how do we do that? That's easy to say. I could just throw that out and go, and you go, "Yeah, I need to copy God, and then I'm going to love people." But how how do we do that? that I think that's a lot more difficult than just saying it. And, and here at this church, one of the things that we really are, are are intense about, and we we love, is not just saying the things, but actually doing them, living them out, seeing response in our lives to our neighbors, to our friends, to our classmates, to our coworkers, to the people that we're around, if this stuff doesn't take root there and we just get here together and we go, yeah, we need to be more like God, but we don't actually do anything, then we're just wasting our time. So what we're going to do is we're going to lay out five different areas of how Jesus loves you. Because we're supposed to imitate him, right? So if, I, if we can lay out areas on how He loves us. It's going to give us some really deep insight into how we can love others. Cool. This morning, I didn't set up the clip because I forgot until right before I came up here, and Ryan asked me. But this morning, before we started, we showed a clip from Anchorman. Anybody here not seen Anchorman? It's no, John. Oh yeah, everybody knows the part with brick. I love desk. I love carpet. And then everybody knows the last one. Say it with me. I love lamp. Exactly. You guys haven't seen it? Becky, come over sometime. We'll watch it. It's, it's hilarious. Okay. I love lamp. Love in our culture is kind of a thrown around thing, right? Like one minute, it's I love tacos, then I'm telling my wife how much I love her. Very different. Can we agree? I mean, I really like tacos a lot, but I, but I, I love my wife a whole lot more. And there right, baby? So, as we go through this, I want to challenge you. We're talking about deep love here. We're not just talking about throw it out love. Just like how we throw things out. We're, We're not talking about tacos here. We're talking about God's love for us. Here, right now, in this place, what he did a few thousand years ago, that kind of love. That's what we're talking about. So, number one is this. Jesus initiates love. He initiates it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His death, in case it's never been portrayed to you the proper way, was the ultimate show of love. Him coming down from heaven, which is pretty good, I hear. You know, he didn't have to do that. His love for you is so deep that that's why he came down to earth. That's why he walked around in this place. That's why when, when, when he came down, we call it the humiliation. That's what that means. When God became human form, he came down from perfectness to enter brokenness out of pure love. And he initiates it. In this verse, it's really clear. It says that while we were still sinners, you see that His love wasn't conditional, based off of if we were fixed or not. It wasn't well, well, well. You know, John, he, he's not, he's not quite there yet, so I'm not going to go down. Yeah, close, close. It wasn't conditional like that. He initiated it. I mean, it's the ultimate sign of initiation when he comes down because what happened to him? He was killed. His love was so deep that he knew he'd be killed for, but he was still going to come down and dwell with his people and be with his people. So what does this mean for you and me? What this means for you and me is this. In our relationships, we need to initiate love. And it can't be the kind of love on a certain level where it's like, well, when they get this cleaned up in their life, then I'll give them love. Well, well, when they're better or, or when they stop hurting me or when they stop lying to me, you, you can go down the list. I, I, I mean, if you're anything like me, I mean, I already heard this message because Tom and I pretty much give the same message. If you're anything like me, when I, when, I, when I heard it this morning, I was immediately picturing people who, who, who need me to initiate love, who I've been standing back, waiting for them to get better, or saying, you know what, that person has done this to me too many times. Now, I want to be careful here, because I'm not talking about, like, abusiveness here, okay? And I'm being dead serious on this, okay? Like, like if, if the person is abusive in their behavior, there is times when we back away, right? When, when the loving thing to do is to get the crap out of that situation, okay? So that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, there's people, and it's probably for most of us in here, a coworker kind of situation, a forced relationship, a roommate. Do you know what I mean? Does this grab anybody else? Like, are you able to think of anybody and what I'm talking about, about how you're withholding love because of what you know what will happen if you give it? but you have to especially if you claim Jesus cuz he would have been very easily he could have very easily just withheld his love right for a while yet we were still what's that word sinners is anybody in here just walk around like not me i'm good jesus knew basically i, I I'm, I'm i love reading this, this guy's name is Charles Spurgeon, and, and he just basically, he just broke it down in this one sermon I was, I was reading the other day, and he basically just said every time that, that, that I sin, he was talking about himself, I'm basically walking up to Jesus on the cross and smacking him in the face. He knew we would do that, yet he was still willing to go to the cross. He initiated the love, even though he knew the response wouldn't be what he expected. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us. Last week, if you are here, we talked a little bit about the difference between religion and Christianity, right? We talked about how, how it's, it's, we don't respond so that God will be happy with us. We respond because he loves us. We do things not so that he will. We do things because he did. It's exactly what this verse is saying. We love, we love the world. We go out, we make disciples, we preach the gospel, we bring life, we bring light, we bring goodness, we bring mercy, we bring grace into situations. Why? Not because you're good or I'm good, but because we have a really good God who loved us and our response is to love out of what he's done for us. Did you know that God can't love you anymore or any less? That he's full in all the time? That he's loved you since the beginning of time? Jeremiah 1 specifically talks about that he knew you before you were even born. He had you in his mind. He loved you. And we're called to be That kind of love to this world, as difficult as that may seem. Jesus initiates his love for us. (laughs) Cell phone. It's not me. It's okay. It's not conditional, okay? Let's move on. Number two is this Jesus' love is forgiving, it's forgiving. I just laid it out, basically, what the cross was all about. Was Jesus coming down to earth and dying for our sins so that we can be made righteous before God through his death, burial, and resurrection? He forgave us of our sins. it's, It's a beautiful thing. Do you understand just how crazy this is, too? The forgiveness that he finds, that the pure fact that, all of us, in our very worst, if 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 we were all to just die right now, for I, I'm not playing, I hope that's not happening. Okay, let me just say that, like, that I'm not like surprise. Drink the Kool Aid. We're not that kind of church. Okay, like that's not what I'm talking about. But if we all died right now, and we and, and, and you profess the name of Jesus, you love Him. You have been sanctified progressively through Him, and you're being, and you are having your salvation worked out, and your heart has been changed, and you love. Jesus, and you believe that He died for you, and you believe that He rose for you, and you believe that He ascended into heaven and is sitting on the right hand of God, ruling over everything. If you're sitting here tonight and on your way here, you committed the most egregious sin and you believe that, you're forgiven. I don't know if that just blows anybody else's mind. it's a level of forgiveness that i can't even comprehend i mean how how many of us sitting in here have done something that it's almost hard to believe that god would or should forgive us maybe you guys are better people than me i don't know but i'm just saying from my my standpoint it just it's it's exciting i mean Like I said earlier, I I didn't get raised in this faith, but Jesus was so appealing to me because of this point. Because of his deep forgiveness for me. And his willingness to die for me. What does this mean for us? So Jesus' love is forgiving, right? We need to be a forgiving people. That's I mean, almost, I think, I just said how how incredible it is that Jesus forgives us. I might have even just dropped a harder one on some of us in here. That Jesus is calling you to be a forgiving person. We're not talking about forgiving in the kind of, well, you don't know what they did. And, and, And trust me, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some bad things in just my couple of years in, in my job. I've had people sit in my office, and I mean, I can't even tell you like how my, like just some things, and I can't go into details because it's in confidence, but just what people have had done to them. But did you know that Jesus died for that as well? And as a pastor, I find it very hard to tell them that they need to forgive that person. I, have, um, I, I, I came from um, a very broken home background um, and, and, and I had a stepfather that was at the very least intimidating for a while. He's not my stepfather now in case my current stepfather is listening to this podcast. I'm not talking about him. But um, he was horrible to my family in, in just multiple ways. And I struggle with this. I understand that forgiving people like that in my head is very hard. Isn't it? And, and I mean, we, we see it in our country. We see it on the news all the time. I, I mean, it, 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 and I've got to be careful not to go off on a tangent here on this one, but the level of forgiveness that Jesus has is deep. It's unconditional No matter how wrong it was, and and, and I have, and and I had a middle school boy the other day say to me, um, and I just say this so that we're teaching the next generation the right things. He was talking to me, and we were watching the news the other night, and some um, terrorist bombed something and a bunch of people died, and he's like, well, me and my dad think we just need to kill them all. This family claims the name of Jesus, It's not Jesus. Do I understand it? I don't. Have I ever felt that way? Yeah, I have. And I bet you have too. But I just want us to be weary on on, on how we teach the next generation these things. That Jesus' forgiveness is deep and we are to be a forgiving people. And, And I want to challenge you with something right now that right now, I bet you can picture somebody in your head that you need to forgive. And I want to be clear of something. For some of you, it may be much harder than others. I'm not calling you right now that you have to forgive them when you leave here tonight. It may take a while. You may need to meet with people. You need, may need to seek out godly advice from, from godly women, godly men that will come around you and help you with that. Some of you just may have never really thought about it and you may have somebody you need to forgive. Maybe it's a parent, a friend. I, I, I don't know. We all have someone to forgive. Good question. Tom brought this up this morning in the sermon. He said this. A good test is this. If I did what this person did, would Jesus forgive me? If I did what this person did, would Jesus forgive me? And the answer is yes. There's really no other answer. If you receive him, the forgiveness is there. So, Jesus' love is forgiving, therefore, our love is forgiving. Our relationships are forgiving. It doesn't mean that you're going to get trampled all over or that you're weak or that you just let people take advantage of you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being a forgiving people. A people, I mean, have you ever thought about this? The, the, the Bible itself talks about. How the world would just think it's foolishness. Forgiveness at this level will not make sense to the world, but they'll love it. It won't make sense because they haven't experienced it, and, and that's on us, the church, to be that for them. Number three is this. Jesus' love is sacrificial. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus gave himself up, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus' love is Sacrificial. How far are you willing to go in your relationships? How far are you willing to sacrifice? And, and, and this is a big one for me because I'm not sure if our culture has a really good grasp on what sacrifice is. Like in, in my house, a sacrifice would be, for me would be letting Ari um, record... Um, uh, I don't know, give me a show. Grey's Anatomy over Ultimate Fighter. I love the Ultimate Fighter. This season's going to be awesome. That's not a sacrifice. Let's just be honest, right? I I want us to really start understanding what a sacrifice is and, and and what that means because it's just another term that we throw out. It's like, oh, I, I sacrifice so much for this. It's like, Maybe you do sacrifice a lot, but in in my life, I I don't really sacrifice a whole lot for very much. I give to my church, I give my 10%. To be honest, I could probably do more if I cut more things out of my life. If I sacrificed things. John Piper says it the best, he says, It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt a little bit. It's got to have some sort of ramification to it. If it doesn't change your life at any level it 's not a sacrifice. if you don 't have to adjust things a little bit it 's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is when a perfect God in a perfect place ruling over all time and we 're not let 's understand not even just the earth, the universe, all the stars, all creation, all planets. All galaxies, ruling over all of that, is going to come and be born in a food trough. That's sacrifice. And he didn't stop there. Right? I mean, think about it. He came down and there was already a king trying to kill him and he couldn't even talk yet. Have you ever thought about that? Does that blow anybody else's mind that God Himself at one point couldn't complete a sentence? I mean, seriously, that somebody had to change his diaper. I don't know what they use for diapers then, but what's that? Yeah, good call on the cloth. I like that. Cloth, we'll go with that. <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought about that? He came down and he lived this life, he grew Did you ever think of this? That like I mean, I I love okay, I love the Bible a lot and I have to picture it. And like what like I always put like the trinity in conversation with each other up in heaven before Jesus comes down and and Jesus sitting up there with God, going, "Man, this is going to really stink. I'm gonna have to experience." Are you telling me I'm gonna to have to experience puberty? He's like, "Hey, you made it." And they're like, "Oh, so like." And they have this whole conversation and all these things going on. Like Jesus' voice cracked at one point. <laughs> you know, like uh, for, for guys who, yeah, that was embarrassing. We all did that at one point. You know, you had to get up to give your first presentation in class. <laughs> you did that kind of thing. Yeah. Jesus did all of that. He sacrificed the perfect situation. To deal with that junk. And it didn't stop there, right? He gave us three years of ministry where he was homeless and he walked around from city to city and people tried to stone him everywhere he went. People hated him. Some people loved him. Some people hated him enough to kill him and they did. Do you understand that the sacrifice that he made on the cross... I mean, I'm teaching this to um, a group of high school boys right now. We're we're going through a book, chapter by chapter, um, called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Had to Come and Die. We're taking 50 weeks and we're going through it, chapter by chapter. And and the first one, this was the first week, and it was Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins. And what that means is that that, in that moment at the cross, that God had wrath against sin. He hates sin. Let's just be clear on that, okay? God hates sin. He hates the sin in your life. He hates the sin in my life. He hates it so much that he sent his son to die for it, right? And on that moment, hanging on the cross, you and I put him there. We did. In that moment, every pain from every sin that you've committed or has been committed against you, he knew and he felt the weight of. Can you imagine that? You ever hear people say that, like, man, I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders? He literally did. He had the whole picture of all mankind forever. On him. Right there, dying for it. That sacrifice. That sacrifice. I'll just be frank with y'all for a second. If we can't do things like sit and listen to the annoying guy that nobody really wants to listen to or help a friend out financially who may be stuck or I mean, I can get on the list. I don't know if we're doing a very good job of imitating Jesus. I just want you guys to know something. I've never talked about money at this church before, but I think we need to start teaching more on sacrifice because do you know that on average at this church on a Sunday, both services combined, we're averaging $2.75 roughly per person of what they give to their home church per week. I'm not a big money guy. I think you teach the word and you teach it well, people will give. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not huge on that, but I'm just saying, I think we got some work to do in that area. You can disagree with me on whether you should give to a church or not. I don't, I, that's fine. But in our relationships, especially, there needs to be some Sacrifice because he did. Fourth one is this. I like this one a lot. Indestructible love. How many how much of our love is indestructible? Romans 8:38 through 39 says this. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you just catch that? That nothing. Angels, they got freaking wings, man. We think they do. Actually, did you know that there's no... There's no um, Actual picture of angels anywhere in the Bible doesn't really tell us what they look like besides that they're glorious. I don't know where the wings came from. I'm assuming they may have wings. But it says angels or rulers. We got somebody trying to find wings on angels. Prove me wrong right now. Go for it. <laughs> um, rulers. Do you know that whatever law gets passed by our government, whether you like it or not, isn't really going to affect your personal relationship with Jesus? Did you know that there's nothing in creation that can separate you? We need to remember that Satan's a created being. He can't separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing, nor height, nor depth, can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. You can't make Jesus not love you. Isn't that wild? You can't make him not love you. He, He does. You can choose to not accept him, but he still loves you. I don't, I don't mean to just be quiet on this one, but there's certain times when the Word of God almost just is heavier than anything else I can say. Does that make sense? When it just says something like, there's nothing in the world that can separate you from this. Some of you just need to hear that like 50 times. If I just sat here and repeated that, that there is nothing that can separate you. I hear people freaking out on the news all the time, man, that if this law gets passed, we're not going to be able to pray here, we're not going to be able to do this here. My my response to stuff is good. Look at the church in China. It's exploding, and they're not allowed to have churches. Maybe a little persecution will be good for us. I don't know. Nothing can separate you. Can we say that about our relationships? Can I say that about my marriage with my wife? That there's nothing she could do that could separate my love from her. I like to think so. I'm talking about deep love here, right? I'm not talking we're not talking taco love again. Nothing will take me away my cheesy gordita crunch. That's not what I'm talking about. They're not even on the menu anymore. But I can still get them. So I'm not, it's not that deep. What I'm talking about here is I'm talking about, does our love reflect that of Jesus? Can can we say to people that if you choose to not love me, I'll still love you? We're not talking about stalker here, okay? Like, no, I'm still coming to your house, even if you don't want me to. That's not what we're talking about, okay? Chase did that to me today. He's my new neighbor. He walked in. I, I was taking a nap, and apparently he walked in and stood over top of me for a minute. That's not what I'm talking about. But, did, do you know what I mean? What, what, if, what, what if you're loving somebody in, in, in just such a godly way? Maybe even if it's this. What, wait, here, I'll, I'll blow your mind. What if they have a sin in their life that is just totally ruining them? And I'm not talking about being the crazy legalist, fundamentalist person who's like, has the plank falling out of their face and is trying to pull the speck out of their eye. I'm just saying the friend who's really going down and saying, I'm going to ride this out with you, even if you don't want me here. I've been through it with friends with addictions. It's tough. I've learned a couple phrases. I mean, I've been doing ministry now for almost seven years and, and I honestly, it's not because I've really like earned it or anything. I honestly believe ministry is for the last guy standing most of the time. It's really not anything like, the, it, it, if you're going to do it, it, it happens. I can't really explain it. But I've been in it for seven years now, and I've gotten to see all sorts of things, and I've learned a couple of things. And one of the biggest ones, and I share this all the time, is just loving people is not efficient. Loving people is not efficient. It just isn't because there's no guarantee of it coming back. And a lot of times it doesn't, right? I, I, I had a friend and, and I got to meet him and, and he, he was one of my best friends I grew up with and we were really good friends. And he just he just got in deep with, with some serious, serious drug stuff. And, and it was it was sad to see. I invited him to come live with me. It was like the worst week ever. That's how long it lasted and he left and I tried to hunt him down and to this day I've still been really trying to find out time I go home which is Cincinnati for me. I'll drive by his house see if he's there. I don't even know if he lives there anymore. I'm hoping I run into him someday. Do I really want to do that when I'm at home? Do I really want to run into some of my old friends who are just complete meth addicts now, who are in and out of prison, who I know if I really bring her to my house, there's a good chance they're gonna steal something because they have before. No. But I need to. I have to. I wouldn't be able to stand here and give this message if I didn't. It's indestructible. No matter what they do, no matter what they steal, no matter what they take, No matter how bad they hurt themselves, I'm still going to love them. And I will tell them repeatedly, I'm not doing it by my own strength because I want to punch you in the face right now. No, I don't say that. That's not as nice. I actually do say that to them, but we've been friends for a long time. Is our love indestructible? Height nor depth? Nor angels, nor rulers? Anything in all creation? That's some powerful love. Last one's this. Jesus says, love fights for reconciliation. Jesus says, love fights for reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's kind of one of those words in church we throw around a lot. I don't know if a lot of people really even know what it means. Here's what it means. It means this, is that something's not right and we're going to make it right. Being reconciled means being brought back to how it's supposed to be. That's what Jesus is. is That's the message of Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Bringing all things back to Jesus. In the order in which he created from the beginning. That's the goal of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18-19 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Catch that. Reconciled us to who? To himself. That when we accepted Jesus or when we will, because guess what? If you're just here checking out church and you've been here a couple of times, you're already hooked. You don't even know it yet. But you, if you just keep coming back, I know that sounds creepy, but I understand. I went through it. I just kept showing up. Now I'm preaching. I don't know how that happened. So... All things being brought back to himself. You ever think of that that way? You've been reconciled to God? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the charge to do the same thing. <laughs> Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see the weight here? Do you see the responsibility? When you carry the name Jesus, he reconciled you back to him. He brought you back. He put you back together when you were broken. Even though it may not feel like it right now, it, it, and, and trust me, I'm, I'm not saying it's like this. It, it's not this kind of thing where it's like you were broken and now you're all better. Ta-da! Look, a brand new shiny Kim. That's not what I'm talking about. She is very shiny, but I'm not talking about like the Kim is not done. Not sweaty. I don't know what that meant. <laughs> I'm not talking about that you you're just done. This takes. Well, there is no end until you're with him. But in that process, the love fights to reconcile, to bring things back, to put it back together. How many of our our relationships preach that message? How many of us, when we have relationships with people, they're preaching the message of bringing them back to good? And more importantly, not just good, bringing them back to relationships that Jesus wants to honor. Some of us, that may be boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, spouse, friends, parents. Is our relationship preaching reconciliation? Are we open to it? Because you can't bring something back if you're not open to it, what I love about this verse is I, I like to write verses out like my own way. If I was, if God never let me write a part of the Bible, which isn't going to happen because it's done. I missed that boat. Wasn't a disciple, wasn't an apostle with a capital A, but I'll get over it. Here's how I read it. We are not only recipients of Jesus, but we're agents of him. You're an agent of change for Jesus. You're an agent of reconciliation for Jesus. So let's wrap this up and let's go home because I know it's getting late. I don't have my watch first. so I have no idea what time it is. I have no idea if I've been preaching for, how long have I been talking? How long? What time is it anybody now? Nine. Nine? Okay. I'm not doing too bad. John chapter one, verse twelve says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's given you that right. We just went through five things. I mean, I could keep going. Did you know that, like, when Tom and I originally put this together, I don't even know how many points this was. It would be really easy for Tom, because we like to, we can talk a lot. If you haven't caught on to that yet, warning. We, we preach long sermons, it's just what you get when you come here. But we, we could easily do like 35 point sermons. What was it? A few weeks ago, I did a 29 pointer. I just went through them all really fast. But, but these are just some starting blocks. Do you understand? But I think I might have just pointed out enough today through the word of God because of what he has showed us, not because of anything we've come up with. Some really big ones. Some ones where we have a lot of work to do. At least I do. And and if you got all this figured out, you need to come talk to me because you need to be counseling us as pastors and elders because we're working on this. And we have a long way to go. But there's a great encouragement here at this last verse. You've been given the right to become children of God. You know why they use this language? It's probably one of the best ways that us in our small, little old human brains can even begin to understand the love God has for us. I mean, I'm looking around the room here and, and I don't think anybody in here has kids. <laughs> but... We all have parents or somebody who loves us deeply, and 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 we and we, I've gotten to see a little bit of how much they would go for, through for us. Well, one of the best. I'm starting to understand this because I work with youth a lot, and 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 I'm around them so much, and and I, I would do so much for these kids. I mean, I really would. Like I've I. I like middle schoolers now. I don't. That's a that's a miracle of God. When I started my job, I was like, I'll do high schoolers, but middle schoolers, man. Just let's get an electric fence and put them in a box. You know, like (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) There's some looks like we don't do that. I love my middle school boys to death that I have in my small group. They're hilarious. I watched one of them just sneeze all over this lady right here this morning and she freaked out and he just died laughing over it. No other age group can do that. I think it might be the chair you're sitting in, Kim. (laughs) But I'm starting to understand this and and it's not even my kid. He needs anything, man. I, I, I would do it. How much greater would that be when I have my own child? And how much greater is the love that God has for us. How much greater is His love than any of our parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, spouses? How much greater is that love that you know that you are His child? You say, I can't be forgiven, therefore I can't forgive others. You can be forgiven because you're His kid. It doesn't matter. The heart of the parent always wants the kid to come back. In my house right now we're dealing with this. My little sister, man, she's made some bad choices. She just has, and and, and I know she listens to these from time to time, and and so I'm not just saying this flippantly. She's made some bad choices, and, and and my parents, you know, it was kind of funny because she really just messed up, and it wasn't a good relationship between my mom and her, and she was gone she wasn't in the house and she wasn't allowed back in and she's got a baby and I, went, I flew home because we didn't know what was going to happen and I went home and I talked to my mom on the phone and she's like she's not coming back because of what happened I'm not going to go into detail but we're not letting her back in I was there for 10 minutes I could tell you that my mom's love was deep enough that the moment my sister said I want to come back she was going to let her back in and she's there Now, there's times when tough love, things like that. But in this situation, what I'm talking about, it was such an arms wide open, prodigal son style story. How much greater is God's love for us? And we're supposed to be agents of this. Oh, man. Ephesians 3:18 through 19 will wrap up. What if it was like this? Verse 18 says this: "May may I have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. You may be filled with the fullness of God. This is ridiculous, but incredible. You have a love living within you that has fallen on you if you claim the name of Jesus and it's the Holy Spirit that has fallen on you that enables you to love beyond what anybody could ever understand, beyond all knowledge. Literally, mind-blowing love. You have the capability because it's within you. You can do it. We've seen people do it. It changes worlds. It just flat out does. It's changed the world multiple times over. I just hope that's our prayer tonight, that we will have that kind of love that just surpasses all knowledge. If only we could know that love—not just intellectually, but experientially—we talked about that before. Not just here, right now. I know you guys love me a lot right now. It's great. We need to go out and love this world. We would live, speak, think, sing, worship, laugh, cry, love. We do it all differently. We really would. kind of love that's so extreme, so rare, so uncommon, so committed, so stubborn, I love that part, so sacrificial that the only way to explain it is the cross of Jesus Christ. May our love be at such a level that when people say, I don't get it, you can say, neither do I. But I do know My God, and I know what he's done for me, and I can tell you all about that. I am not righteous. He is. He's the one who does this, and that's why it doesn't make sense, because it doesn't even make sense to me. So, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing here. I really hope that, you know, don't worry, this isn't going to be a long rant. Here's the tough thing with preaching. We get the message in, in our head. That we feel God gives it to us. We study it. We read everything we can about it. We prepare. And everybody looks to us like the, the guys who have the, the, the Britney Spears mic or the Garth Brooks mic, whichever your preference is, um, that, that we have this magical answer and that we're going to give it out to you. But he, here's the thing is that we're probably the least effective ones out there. We give you the message, but unless we actually choose to do anything with it, it doesn't really mean anything. We we wasted our time here tonight. If But but I want you to understand, if one person here tonight really gets this, it's worth it. My challenge to you as we sing this song and as we pray here is... is I'm hoping you're, you're that person. I hope there's more than one. But, but I hope you can hear this. And I hope you can receive it. And I hope you can meditate over it. And I hope you can pray through it. I hope you can forgive somebody who needs forgiving. I hope you can reconcile a relationship that needs to be reconciled. I hope we can bring all things back to Jesus. The series called Imagine, the point is to stop imagining and actually do it. Imagining's for wimps, we're people who do. Let's pray.